And welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM and our wonderful community partners all across the country uh, and now in the U.S. as well. Ooh. I'm sitting in the studio with uh, Stephen Hoster. Hi, Jan. And Kim Farmer. Hi, everyone. And we have an action-packed show today, as I mean, I do usually say that, but uh, this week we have uh, two representatives of some of the largest environment groups in the country speaking to us today. In the second half, just after the first break, uh, we will be speaking to Sabrina Bowman, who's uh, with Environmental uh, Defense, who's going to be talking to us about uh, the Act on Climate Rally that is going to be happening uh, in Quebec on April 11th. There is a website, ACT, I believe it's act hyphen on hyphenclimate.ca. I'm going to double check that when we get Sabrina uh, on the line as well. Uh, and if you're only if you miss part of the program as well, of course you can always check everything at greenmajority.ca. But up first, uh, we have on the line right now Joanna Kerr, who's the executive director for Greenpeace Canada, who's going to talk to us about her time uh, speaking uh, in front of the largely, uh, if not exclusively, she'll correct me in a moment, uh, conservative panel talking about whether or not we should have Bill C51 in this country. Uh, Joanna, I believe you're on the line. Good morning. Thank you so much for taking some time to join us this morning. Um, I, I, I really wanted to make a joke uh, about coming into this, uh, and then I realized that your article in iPolitics already stole it from me, uh, but on the assumption that nobody read your article yet, which I hope they have, uh, I'll make it anyway, so please forgive me for, for stealing your joke, but are you or have you ever been a member of ISIS? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, that's certainly what the Conservative government would want a lot of Canadians to think. If you're opposed to Bill C-51, well, then you might be a terrorist. And um, I had the opportunity of speaking uh, in front of the the Standing Committee on Public Safety a week ago in Ottawa, and there with other expert witnesses, and we were given a very short amount of time to speak, um, I was sitting uh, alongside a representative from the BC Civil Liberties uh, organization, as well as Ron Ackie, who used to be a cabinet minister, and he was the um, first chair of the uh, Security Intelligence Review Committee. So, uh, you know, a diverse panel. We all gave our presentations. Um, And I was there really to share uh, profound concerns that Greenpeace and our supporters have of what is potentially uh, a very dangerous new definition of threats to national security. And what uh, is included in this bill is really a um, kind of a conflation of what is legitimate public protest uh, and terrorism. And it's, it's really pushing the boundaries of what things should be really just about policing uh, as opposed to what they, the Conservatives, are considering uh, to be part of Canada's counterterrorism measures. So, you know, from, you know, gr- grandmas and ranchers and families who are out there across, across our country who are very concerned about whether it's pipeline projects, development projects that are out there uh, trying to share their voice, is it is there a potential uh, for them to be deemed terrorists? Uh, and so, you know, it's not just our own paranoia uh, of, of, of having this particular interpretation. In fact, many legal experts who've come out analyzing this bill have suggested that this is absolutely the way that it could be interpreted. So I was expecting to have kind of this analysis challenged, but it really was, we were... 
we were asked questions by the conservatives that we were not uh, even given the time to answer. They were they were playing out. Uh, they were running down the clock by reading uh, from different organizations' websites. Uh, they clearly didn't want to give time to the other parties, the NDP and the Liberals. Um, and the Green Party wasn't even allowed to ask questions, but they, uh, they, were, they were running down the clock. And essentially they, they, they said, well, if you aren't a terrorist organization, why would you be afraid of this legislation? And there we were not even allowed to ask. It was pretty, it was pretty shocking, I have to admit. <laughs> It didn't feel like I was in Canada. It really didn't. So, I mean, let's. Uh, you kind of touched on it there for a moment, but I want. I want to come back to it there. So, so you were asked to to speak in front of the um, in front of the um, standing committee. Mm-hmm. Um, under your best assessment, what exactly, if at all, because uh, this is something I've had trouble sort of sorting out for myself. How exactly does the bill define terrorist, or so, does it? Uh, so, yes. Yeah. So the bill. Um, the bill is. Um, is trying to expand the sharing of information uh, by many different agencies, uh, and it is um, it is, but it is it is suggesting that the threats to national security that could be deemed as terrorism are beyond what we uh, what we might currently think of, and so they have put in. It's a long bill. And they've put in some clauses that refer to um, impact on critical infrastructure. And that is essentially a, you know, that's code for pipeline projects. So it's, uh, it, it is, it's a long bill. It's a complicated bill. And I think, I think what's, what's infuriating to most of us is that they went out, the conservatives went out saying there's strong public opinion for this bill. In fact, I think they, they've been quoting, you know, like 79% of Canadians are in support of this bill, and over 30%, in fact, don't believe it what has gone far enough. But now, as experts and organizations and citizens are actually seeing what's inside it and what this means in terms of our, our right to our privacy, in terms of our, you know, the new powers that are being given to CSIS, to uh, have information on us all, to actually, and information that we won't necessarily know that's even in our file, that could change the way we travel. But certainly for, for environmentalists, it is the, the fact that, um, uh, you know, this is another critical piece for, for your listeners, is, and, and it was really kind of the thing that, that our lights went off in, in our organization, is about mm, a couple weeks ago, uh, we received a leaked report from the RCMP. Uh, one, probably one of the scariest reports I've ever seen written by government officials that basically refers to uh, um, the growing national security threat of, quote, uh, anti-petroleum extremists. And so they, uh, again, conflate anybody who's out there on the streets um, or getting active against pipeline projects are an increasing threat to national security. And so it's the same kind of language that was used in this bill that you saw in that RCMP report. If you, if you read, read that report, you will 
be quite horrified at the ways in which they they say things like alleged impacts of of um, fossil fuel on climate change. I mean, completely dismissing uh, the, the 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 understood science. Um, and so, the fact that you now have our our police. Um, and now agencies like CSIS who could potentially be sharing information where they're already pitting um, environmentalists and those who are concerned about some pretty dangerous uh, infrastructure projects in terms of our own you know, health, health of our water and our air, let alone impact on climate change, it's now become a national security threat. And then if we were just to look below the border, You've got a president who, in the reverse, actually sees and names climate change as a huge threat to national security, whereas above, above the border, our prime minister essentially sees environmentalists as the threat to national security. Hi, Joanna. This is Kevin Farmer. Um, I'm just jumping in because I can't resist. Um, uh, we actually have discussed that... Um, RCMP report that uh, I, I believe actually, yeah, that was Greenpeace ferreted this out, I think, with the Freedom of Information request. And I do plan to come back to that in the future because it was kind of shocking and also <clears throat> stunningly incompetent. Yes. Um, but uh, really a piece of high school uh, mm-hmm. uh, work, which I think should alarm anyone since it originates from our uh, federal police force. Um, not Notwithstanding the fact that its content was alarming, it was just also stunningly inept. Um, but uh, at one point during the proceedings in front of the, uh, when you were uh, ostensibly there to give expert testimony, were you not in fact, uh, and I just used the language, were you not in fact, uh, were you not I- I asked by someone, uh, a member of the committee, essentially why would you, why would Greenpeace even be afraid of an anti-terrorist, anti-terror legislation if you essentially had nothing to hide, if you weren't in fact terrorists? Correct. Uh, okay, I just wanted to get that on the record. I mean, this, the, the classic, you've got nothing to fear if you've got nothing to hide yeah. from the least transparent government in the history of this country that fights every freedom of information uh, request. So, you know, I just wanted that on the record. Correct. Yeah. And, and it's, it, you know, it's just, you know, it's the, it's the fear-mongering that, um, you know, I, I mean... The, uh, may, maybe we'll get to this, but I, I don't. I don't know. You know how how uh, where you want this interview to go. But uh, you know, it's it's why are they doing this? You know, why are they going out uh, with this with this kind of stance? Why are they using their time? Why are they going on public record and not allowing witnesses to even answer the question? Well, actually, that was my very next question to you. Uh, mm-hmm. you've, you've you've led me right into it. Uh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, thank you for the free segue. Um, <laughs> Uh, it, you know, it was clear that the conservative, the Harper conservatives, did not want to um, entertain this, uh, this, uh, this, uh, any expert testimony. They wanted to limit it as much as right. as much as possible because we all know a hasty, reactionary public policy in a highly charged emotional climate makes for the very best uh, public policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was clear they didn't want to deal with a lot of expert testimony. And then here we have experts, and in, in, including four. Prime ministers. They have four former prime ministers of this country have asked to speak, uh, present on this bill. They have all been refused, including one who's ostensibly a conservative. Uh, and and these are people who used to get security reports okay. from CSIS. They these are people who had the highest level of of access to secure uh, uh, sensitive information in our country. They have asked to, to speak out against this bill. They have been refused. So I mean, I think that I think that speaks to how seriously they're limiting this. But then outcome the experts they do allow, 
And the question is: Do you think they? Do you think? There, do you think this was anything but political theater? They did not seem to care what you had to say or anyone else. It was most definitely political theater. It was. They were very, very well prepared with their questions and how they were going to run down the clock. Um, and you know that that are they are they going to change the bill based on the expert testimony? Um, I, I highly doubt it. I think Harper is extremely clever in recognizing that this is a wedge issue, that there is enough of his base or a potential base that would be um, inspired uh, to, to uh, step, you know, step up the anti-terrorism uh, rhetoric, you know, Nicely throwing in, you know, the 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 gun law piece around the same time to to question whether or not more Canadians actually need to feel safe by by using their guns. So they're using this um, their their time and you know the theater within within the, the actual hearings and and allowing particular organizations to be able to to present. And be questioned, but actually not to respond. But I guess what is what is heartening uh, is that the the media response has been quite significant. I think even many journalists were quite shocked. Certainly in the scrums after we left the committee room, said, "Wow, you know, we <laughs> we weren't expecting uh, that transparent of a uh, kind of a confrontation um, to." You know, perhaps to Greenpeace, but certainly not to some of the you know highly respected civil liberties organizations, to Amnesty International. You know, as as I ask the question, are they all terrorists? Of course not. The, you know, the the ways in which the um, Assembly of First Nations Grand Chief, you know, was there saying, you know, this law is so badly thought through. You haven't done the necessary consultation with First Nations. You have the former. Um, security commissioner himself saying that this is a constitutional mess. Um, so I think they intended that they could they could ram this through. I'm delighted to to see how many Canadians uh, are engaged in this and how you know from coast to coast how many uh, how many demonstrations there were uh, in in various cities and and you know this is probably the most unaccountable, untrustworthy government uh, that we've seen, um, certainly in my lifetime. And I think this is going to hurt them in the polls, for heaven's sake, I hope it does. Well, um, Joanna, uh, we're just down to about uh, two or three minutes here, but I have a, a, a two-part question I'd like to just sure. out, to get out of you to, to, to wrap it up. And, and once again, you've provided a fabulous uh, segue for me, uh, mm-hmm. which was that uh, Kevin Farmer and I made it down to the uh, Toronto rally that was mm-hmm. part of that um, uh, to uh, observe and, and also you know be counted as well and just say mm-hmm. that we're not entirely thrilled about about this. Uh, but the first part of my two part question is that uh, part of the reason you know I think the thing that's that freaks me out about the bill is actually not the bill so much as itself as as you were just saying there the tactic behind it. Uh, and the thing that scares me is that unfortunately historically and globally speaking this sort of tacit tactic generally works. Um, Netanyahu just finished right before you know a very close. 
uh, election in Israel this past week, earlier this week. Um, you know, two days before the polls closed, he you know made a very inflammatory statement about he, there would never be a Palestinian state as long as he was in charge. Uh, and then immediately after the election, he walked it back. Now, the, the reason for that, of course, is that that's an insane position to take, and he knows that the U.S. will react to him for that. But it's arguable that that helped carry him over the top. Um, so uh, how concerned are you that, that we're not going to be able to stop this because there's just too many Canadians that are sympathetic? Well, I think, I think if more Canadians can understand why they're doing it, that they're trying to create a politics of fear, and that Harper feels that he's much more likely to win in the next election around a security agenda and create fear uh, in the hearts and minds of Canadians. But and and deflected away from an economy, an economy that he hoped he could build based on fossil fuel. So with crashing oil prices, the economy built upon his image of what Canadian economy is is no longer likely. So the more he can create a win around terrorism and fear, he's more likely to win. So I think it, it behooves all of us to be able to get out there and say, this is not the country we want, not one based on fear, but on hope, and one that's based on renewable energy, which is actually something that will sustain jobs, sustain communities, and sustain the planet. So I think that's going to have to be the thing that we need to be able to embrace from coast to coast across diverse, but diverse, diverse constituencies. And and what I, you know, me, I was there as well to see how many people kept had signs to say, we are rejecting fear. That is what we have to do. Speak truth to power, reject fear. There is hope, and renewable energies is part of that. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time, Joanna Kerr, the Executive Director of Greenpeace Canada. We, we really appreciate you speaking to us today. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, again, that was Joanna Kerr, Executive Director for Greenpeace Canada. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. Don't forget, you can always check uh, all the show notes, references to all the articles that we're linking. I will include the uh, article that Joanna um, published about her experience in front of the Standing Committee uh, for My Politics uh, on, the, on the show post uh, and uh, everything else that we reference throughout the show. Uh, so you can do that by visiting greenmajority.ca as well. Uh, next week, we are going to be uh, producing our show live from The Green Living Show. Uh, we still have a few tickets left to give away, so we're going to go to our music break now. If you happen to be live in Toronto, you are able to go to greenmajority.ca, go to contact us, uh, and you can. Uh, the first two people who do that right now will be able to receive a pair of tickets each. So we're giving away two sets of two tickets. Uh, you can do that now, greenmajority.ca, uh, and just click on the contact us. Uh, without further ado, however, we'll be right back. You're listening to Green Majority, and we're going to be back in two minutes. I hear folks, you must do Rattle on without a clue Talk and talk, sad but true About what's good for me and you They don't know, they don't teach in school Mother Nature makes the rule It's been that way since time began Hasn't changed that much, my friend Now we stay warm and grow more food And build ourselves some awesome tools Hooked on oil, that's way too true Still, Mother Nature makes the rules Mother Nature makes the rules She decides 
what she'll do. She knows that there's no gods for humans, birds, bees, or frogs. Still, she's all we've got, and the earth keeps getting hot. So stop the talk and understand. There's no grand plan. No mother nature is not your friend. You think she is? Think again. Still, you better treat her good. She gives us all our food and wood. She's good to us, but don't be fooled. Mother Nature makes a rule. Mother Nature makes a rule. See, decide what she'll do. And we are back on Green Majority here, CIUT 89.5. You're listening to us. Possibly on 89.5, possibly on one of our community stations, and possibly on our podcast. And if you haven't uh, seen our podcast and you'd like to know how you can get the show delivered every week to your inbox, you can go to greenmajority.ca and find that out. Uh, I have on the line now, in uh, the second uh, part of our show, Sabrina Bowman, who's the uh, campaign climate organizer for environmental defense. Thank you for joining us, Sabrina. Thanks for having me today. Absolutely. So we just, uh, I don't know if you uh, heard there, but we just got off the line with Joanna Kerr from uh, Greenpeace Canada um, talking about her time in front of the standing committee uh, for C51 uh, and the fiasco that was that. Uh, we're speaking to you now uh, uh, largely in regards to the Act on Climate Action that's happening in Quebec on April the 11th. Uh, per, but perhaps by way of a segue, um, you can, uh, with that uh, in mind, uh, would just uh, tell us a little bit about the climate under which, pun intended, this is happening right now. <laughs> yeah, certainly. I mean, I think that, uh, well, I'll, I'll sort of just give a bit of background. So um, on April 11th, there's going to be a climate march in Quebec City. It's uh, uh, hoped to be the biggest climate march uh, in Canadian history. Um, and the reason it's happening then and there is that there's a meeting with a number of the premiers uh, in Quebec City on climate. And so the organizers had wanted to really make sure there's a very strong voice for climate in advance of those meetings um, and asking the premiers to take a leadership role. Um, and, and how this is connected, I would say, is that we're not seeing leadership on climate at the federal level. It's not happening. Uh, and not only are we not seeing leadership, we're actually seeing a fairly active anti-climate um, effort from that end, uh, you know, especially around things like the, the recent CRA targeting of charities that are working on climate change. Um, and so, you know, I think what, what we've realized, uh, you know, those of us who are working on this issue is that um, if we're not going to see leadership at the federal level, and it's pretty clear that we're not, at least right now, then we also uh, we can ask our premiers to step in. And they are. You know, in Ontario, we've got Kathleen Wynne, who is um, uh, doing some really fantastic work on climate, um, although still in favor of the energy pipeline, which we'll talk about later. But, um, <laughs> but you know, there, you know we're, 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 we're looking for leadership where we can find it, and, and I think that the, the premiers have a responsibility to step up. 
So, I mean, I think that's uh, – th- thank you very much for that. Uh, I think the, the appropriate place to start in with my questions then would be, um, you know, for uh, – I'm personally a little bit fuzzy on this, and, and I wouldn't be shocked if many of our listeners are. Uh, what sort of authority or impact or power, uh, for lack of a better word, do the premiers have on this issue? So say that we have an incredibly successful rally, the message is heard, and, and the majority, if not all, of the premiers go back to their provinces with a firm mandate that action must be taken. What can be done? Well, it's a good question. Um, I think there has been some talk about a national climate strategy, or excuse me, a national energy strategy, uh, which would likely include discussions on climate, carbon pricing, uh, etc. And and that's one place where the you know the premiers could work together to do something across the country if it's not going to be mandated by the federal government. Um, I think also it's an opportunity for, for premiers to share with each other what they are doing. And as I say, in Ontario, there's there's some interesting leadership, and, of course, there's the carbon pricing initiatives in B.C. and Quebec. Um, and, you know, the B.C. one especially has shown some pretty promising results of, uh, of the potential of carbon pricing. So I think it's also an opportunity for provinces to encourage each other to take action, um, not only by working together across the country, but also by um, creating ambitious, um, exciting uh, carbon plans um, that will, you know, really make them, you know, almost world leaders on on climate change and creating a, a clean, green economy that's good for people and good for the earth. So one of the, um, I mean, one of the lines that uh, are the prime ministers love to trot out, and, and it's been sort of one of his campaign hallmarks, is the, you know, he wants to make Canada into an energy superpower, um, to which my report has been, I agree. Uh, sorry, my retort has been that I agree, I just disagree about where we should be getting that power. Um, but the reason I like to bring out that joke was that, I mean, we've seen, uh, maybe this isn't common knowledge for your average Canadian, but for those of us that, that are, you know, spend most of our lives hip deep in this issue, um, are fairly well aware. It's, it seems to be a common, fairly understood fact that uh, clean energy jobs are generally much better for the economy and for Canadians than oil jobs, even even if we don't care about climate change. So, I mean, is you know, it, it begs sort of the question here that that really where is the breakdown occurring? Is is it is it a motivation issue? Is it just that despite all you know attempts to the contrary that that our that our leaders are ignorant of this fact, or do we have to start taking the road I'm not you know super thrilled about going down, which is to accuse corruption? Yeah, no, for sure. I, and I, you know, I, I think your your joke is actually quite apt, and, and most of us would say the same thing. Yeah, we absolutely would love to see Canada as an energy leader. You know, Quebec creates enough hydropower that it could probably supply a lot of Ontario. And you know, we 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 could take really cool, um, you know, we could do really cool work on renewable energy. There's a project I know about called a Key Energy in Manitoba that um, is a geothermal installation project. Um, run, sort of co-run by a, um, an NGO and uh, First Nations to train First Nations people into becoming installers of this technology. And their market is other First Nations, uh, chief and band councils who own that land and who pay those energy bills. And so they go around educating communities, talking about this potential. Um, and then um, if the individual uh, families and people who live in those homes want it, it gets installed and it saves a huge amount of money for the, the council provides local employment and skills building. And this is the kind of thing we could be moving forward on. And, you know, it's, it's not the only example. I mean, we saw it in Ontario with the Green Energy Act and, and massive um, jobs creation uh, and uh, opportunity, essentially. You know, people are getting trained in energy installation and, and learning how to, you know, do, do energy audits and conservation. Um, and, and, that's, and that's a really big deal. And they do. They create, you know, for the same amount of money that you invest in the, 
the tar sands and $1 million invested in the tar sands for, for you know, two jobs would get to seven in the green energy sector. Um, I think the truth comes down in a lot of ways to sort of um, power and history. You know, our, our prime minister is an Alberta oil patch man, and there is a huge amount of power uh, in that industry. Um, and in fact, you know, again, I, I don't know if I would say corruption so much as simply, you know, follow where the money is and where the power is. Um, a couple, I think maybe a year and a half ago, Greenpeace had done some access to information and found out that the, for the government cabinet had met with environmental groups maybe twice and with um, oil industry and, and uh, fossil fuel groups something like 200 or 300 times. So, uh, you know, it's very clear, like, who has the access to the decision makers. Um, and so, you know, I think what we're seeing now is that uh, the public is, trying, is now forcing access saying, well, you're, you know, you're not going to give it to us, so we're going to <laughs> take it from you. Um, and, and, you know, we're doing that by, you know, in, in a lot of cases, by protesting pipelines. But I think that it's a very good question as to why this has become the priority. And I just want to say one other thing about this. You made a really great comment about the job potential. There's also a reality, you know, we, we, we've heard so much rhetoric about, like, that this is so good for jobs, the fossil fuel industry is so good for jobs. And now the oil market is tanking. And people are losing their jobs. Like, I, it's awful. Like, I feel heartbroken by this. All these young people who've gone out to Alberta to work and, Im- and immigrants and, and all these other folks who've gone out promised this massive, massive riches, right, to work in this horrible industry. And now they're losing their jobs. And this is going to happen again and again if we keep investing in this unstable, unsustainable uh, commodity. All uh, right. I was going to actually make a snide comment, but I'd, I'd forgotten it. So, Kevin Farmer, go ahead. <laughs> That's <laughs> okay, because I can, I can always out-snide you. Oh, wait, no, 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 I got it. Sorry, I do remember what it was, which was you, you'd said something about, uh, you know, who has access to the halls of power. Well, I think, I think once again, it might have actually been Greenpeace that, that, un, uh, that, that uncovered this, but we know exactly who has access to the halls of power, which is that the, the heads of the oil, exec, or the oil executives are have regular meetings with the RCMP. Well, yeah, that's yeah. the other thing. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, this was the, we don't have Wi-Fi in here, sadly, and I can't attribute this quote, but it's Googleable, and I forget who said it, but there is a famous quote that if you want to know who's in control, figure out who you're not allowed to criticize. <laughs> and and yeah, I just that was just brought back to mind listening to this interview and the one we just had with Joanna Kerr. Not only can we not criticize these things, if you even attempt to nowadays, you're almost a terrorist. <laughs> I think I think that I think that speaks volumes about who's actually in charge right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I mean it's it's something I've sort of commented on uh, as well on this program, which is that um, you know we've been producing our show here at CIUT since 2006. Kevin Farmer's been here since episode two. We're now on episode 442, <laughs> the uh, longest surviving member, <laughs> <laughs> the longest surviving member of the Green Majority. Um, but you know we're we're volunteers here at a community radio station, and uh, because of our uh, coming up on you know eight years of volunteering, we get a fair bit of leeway here from the station. And Ken Stower, the the station manager, has, has put quite a bit of <coughs> faith in us and so we're we're able to operate with uh, quite a bit of autonomy and uh, very little oversight uh, obviously you know if we do something wrong we hear about it afterwards but you know we, we have a fair bit of freedom to do as we like here um, but you know it's it's always been amazing to me that uh, sort of how much more freedom I feel here as a volunteer at a community radio station than frequently the uh, the 
the interviewees that we speak to must feel in their own jobs. For instance, Joanna Kerr that we just spoke to and, and you yourself working for not-for-profits and registered charities with this giant axe being held above your head constantly um, that if you you know step out of this box with very, very fuzzy lines on it that you're going to get axed. Uh, per- perhaps you can just comment on sort of the atmosphere in which environmental defense exists at this moment with this culture of fear being uh, amplified as time goes by. No, I mean, this is such an excellent question and, and something that we talk about a lot. Um, I, I'd say, you know, I, I'm really fortunate because I work with people and my and my managers and directors who are basically said, look, like, we, you know, we we have to be careful uh, and, and it has meant limitations, but we, you know, but we are by no means stepping back from this issue. And in fact, in some ways, I think it's sort of fired up a little bit of resistance in the organization to say, Okay, you know, we're we're very very cautious. We definitely, you know, play by the books. Our books are clean, but we are also going to stand up and say that this is wrong. You know, our ED was recently in our sorry, our ED Tim Gray was recently in the media talking about the tax on charities um and has been working with other organizations both environmental and not to to highlight for Canadians what's happening to democracy in this country. Um and and you know, in addition, I've never felt like I can't work on these issues and and let's be honest, sometimes you know, when I wake up and I'm tired and, you know, like, and I don't want to go to work, which is very rare, I just remind myself that every day I'm doing something that's directly pissing off the uh, Stephen Harper. <laughs> and that makes me happy. So. <laughs> you, you, might, you might kill my co-host here. He's, uh, oh, thank you. Just thank you. Thank you for that. That was worth getting out of bed for today. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, fundamentally, too, you know, like... This is one of those those times, like this is a critical time in Canada. We could be doing a whole, you know, we're, we're just starting a clean economy program here at Environmental Defense, and it's really um, exciting because, you know, we're looking at alternatives and, like, bringing all that together. And, and we're at a critical turning point with both climate change and with potential to do things differently. And so uh, I don't think that any of us feel like, like we're, we feel obligated. Like, I don't think we feel like we can turn away from this because there's really no, there's no choice, right? It's sort of like survival at this point. Yeah, and I mean, I, I guess that's uh, that's sort of one of the things that just gets under my skin the most, I think, which is that um, there's still a, a, a scary, by my perspective, amount of Canadians that that you know are of varying degrees of concern about climate change, and I think I, I think we're quote unquote winning in the sense that there's more and more Canadians that that, underst- that that understand that this is real and it's a real threat, but their sort of degree of concern about this threat varies wildly. Uh, especially relative to a more immediate seeming issues. Um, but that the, the number one thing that gets under my skin, which is why I always focus, I mean, e- even anyone that's listened to the first 35 minutes so far of this program uh, has noted that, I'll, that I frequently say, say things over and over again each week about saying, you know, even if we forget about the science of climate change, this is still a great idea to do this, or, or it's still a horrible idea to do that. And it's sort of... It, it, it's, it just really frustrates me that, uh, I mean, not only is this, an, you know, quite literally an existential threat um but there's there's a million reasons to do it and it just keeps bringing me back to that cartoon that that all environmentalists i think at one point have seen uh if you've ever been on social media which is that you know the the cartoon of the guy sticking his hand up saying what if this is all a hoax and we save the world for nothing um (laughs) just there's just so many good reasons to do this and and what i was going to just reference here to to sort of uh, give you uh the, the last couple minutes here uh, was a recent report that was uh, I saw it on Global Mail, but I'm uh, referring now to a to a, v- a very similar uh, story that was put out by CommonDreams.org, uh, 
uh, about 100% renewable. Canadian scholars champion low carbon power potential, where they outline that uh, 100 Canadian uh, scholars have come together and and said that it's very doable to have Canada be 100% renewable by, I believe it was 2035. Um, but it just, se- it just seems like we're living in a parallel universe here. So, I mean, I guess my, my final question to you will be, um, what is your feeling, um, seeing as that you are sort of hyper-focused on this specific issue all the time, um, what is your feeling right now of Canadians' readiness to accept a different direction? Yeah, that's, you know, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, I'd almost, I'd, I'd, I'd almost reflect it back to you, and I'd love to hear what you have to say, but I'll, I'll quickly just say that um, I think that you know, despite the fact that we have a, you know a, a billion-dollar industry um, with a very large uh, advertising budget um, and a government that has uh, you know held on to control so strongly around messaging, um, Canadians have for a long time and and continue to care about the environment. Um, you know, and, and I think that we're slowly changing this this perspective that you can't have a healthy, uh, you know, sustainable economy that's good for workers and have environmental sustainability. I think increasingly we're seeing um, that narrative changing, that we can actually do both. And and what gives me a lot of hope is things like this Quebec Climate March, where, you know, on April 11th, there's going to be people from all over Canada coming together, um, which, you know, necessary plug, I will say, is uh, actonclimate.ca. You can just Google it. Um, that merch is going to be, you know, really, really great and, and bringing together a whole bunch of people. There's this project I mentioned earlier, the key energy project that's happening. There's Ontario's work on climate change. There's BC's carbon pricing and Quebec's carbon pricing, and Ontario is going to have carbon price too. Um, there's there's a recognition that um, things are changing, and I think that we're seeing some really amazing, innovative stuff around the world too. You know, the, the Tesla being voted the most, you know, basically the best car ever, um, that is <laughs> is also, um, uh, you know, it's battery-powered. Um, you know, say what you will about, you know, vehicles in the first place, but I think that, um, I think, <laughs> you know, I think we're, I think we're you know, I'm a, I'm a diehard cyclist, but I think that we're seeing, you know, we're seeing uh, uh, some real innovation. And, and I think also we're seeing a little bit of, like, w- the wool being pulled over the eyes of Canadians is being recognized. You know, that this Bill C-51, um, the change uh, I saw recently from, you know, when people were concerned about it, you know, a few weeks ago, it was like 30%, and now it's like 50. Um, I think I think people are realizing that, uh, you know, it, maybe things are happening not in the best interest of Canadians. So, you know, I, I, I have a lot of hope, and, and that's why I do this work, too, because, um, you know, I, I work on the energy's pipeline, and it's it feels like a real David versus Goliath battle, except that there's people all over the pipeline route who are like, no, <laughs> we don't want this, and they're willing to put their time and energy, money, and, you know, Everything else, reputation on the line for it, because um, because there are more important things to them than than you know dollar signs, and, and that continues to be reinforced. So I, I I'm hopeful. I'm really hopeful, and I'm really inspired. You know, by people I work with. I'm really inspired by you guys who do this this the work that you're doing to let people know. I'm inspired by your listeners who are on the line now listening to this um, because I think it shows that there's there's you know quite a lot of interest and and that and that's and you know and and that's what i think keeps us all motivated to to keep doing this work all right well thank you so much sabrina bowman again unfortunately we are out of time but uh, you're the climate campaigner for environmental defense uh canada and as well uh, i i misquoted at the beginning of the show you said it was just act on climate.ca it's it's act dash on dash climate.ca uh-huh. all right yeah. i was right uh, worst, <laughs> <You> case <were>. <laughs> scenario, worst case scenario if anyone's confused now that we've gone back and forth a couple of times uh my fault just go check greenmajority.ca for the show post afterwards and it will be corrected there sabrina thank you so much for your time <laughs> thanks so much guys
Bye. Uh, so just before we go to our uh, commercial break, uh, I was uh, prompting uh, Stefan uh, because uh, Serena there was saying uh, the well-funded oil industry ads. Uh, mm. We've been having a little bit of fun with that. And in fact, I posted something you produced right. uh, this week. Uh, it's going to be going out in the public newsletter that we do for the show that includes both all of our radio program links to all our radio program shows from the past month, as well as a number of other things that we've been working on. And I just thought that would be an excellent segue to promote the, the thing that will be the feature in this uh, month's newsletter which is your new commercial. Yeah, so I just really just we went through all the Energy East commercials that existed, uh, which is just kind of a frightening and hilariously weird thing to do. If you ever want to want to feel like you're living in an alternate universe, just go to the Energy East YouTube channel because that actually exists. Yeah, although make sure to clip all of your nails first so that you don't aren't blind by the end of it. Yeah, uh, so the one, and we just, we, we were looking for so basically easy cannon fodder to some extent and came across one that basically just goes through through the 67 things that this house has, this family, Canadian family has that has oil in it. And it's terrifying. <laughs> it's, it's meant to be like, basically what they're saying is, yo, you want to get rid of oil? Well, we own you. Here's the 67 yeah. things you'd have to give up if you wanted to, if you want to get rid of oil. And it's like the guy's shirt. It's a ton of makeup products. I have them. to jump yeah. in on that because, like, uh, I don't know how many times online while people are calling me an eco-terrorist, and I'm going to come back to that. People say, you know, when you're talking about oil, well, you're using your computer, right? Well, yeah. I'm not burning it, fool. <laughs> I'm using it. And if we had a better manufacturing process, I'd be able to recycle this later. But while we're talking about climate change, you might assume that since I'm using my computer, it is not, in fact, on fire right now. <laughs> Just idiocy. Yeah. Yeah. But so, so yeah. So I basically uh, had a little fun making a little intervention-based uh, yeah. uh, video for that because it's on. The, the, I didn't change anything about the actual ad. That's the key here. The <laughs> entire ad. Ex- I made it black and white, but the entire rest of the ad is exactly as they presented it. And for some reason, it's a pro-oil ad. I don't understand. Yeah, we just had a little bit of fun uh, with the mood, <laughs> shall we say? Is that yes. fair? Yeah, I had some fun with the mood, a little intro and outro bits, but everything else I didn't touch. We just bookended it and made it black and white. It's yeah. completely innocent. You should totally check it out. And the best way to do that is to go uh, if as, soon, as long as you're not driving right now to go to green majority uh, green there's a button that says mailing list uh, i'm going to be uploading the show today and then i will be uh sending out that email with today's show on it and everything else uh, as well so if you want to make sure you get a link to that you can uh, go at your earliest convenience to greenmajority.ca and get on our mailing list uh quick comment from kevin and then yeah we'll go the, i mean the break. fact that oil is such a stunningly useful manufacturing input is one of the best arguments for not burning this stuff when we've got alternatives. It's just that we turned it into toxic, unrecyclable plastic that ends up in the ocean. Like, that's our fault for not controlling the, the product life cycle and, and the, the manufacturing process. But simply the fact that it is so useful as, as a manufacturing input is just one of the best arguments for not burning it. So when people say, if you want to give up oil, you've got to give up your shirt. No, keep your shirt. Make it recyclable. Stop burning this stuff. We're, we're, running, we're, we're, up, we're running up against the limit for how much carbon we can dump into the atmosphere and in, into the ocean. It's just a ridiculous false dichotomy argument. All right. So with that, we're going to, I want to save some time for the final few minutes. I've got a couple of news items I want to still run through. So uh, Aaron Gideon, please tell us what we were listening to last Music Break and what we'll be about to listen to now. Yeah, well, both these tracks are by a Canadian artist. His name is R.A. Lautenschlager. Yep. Uh, self-proclaimed the biggest name in Canadian music. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the first track was called uh, Mother Nature Makes the Rules. And uh, the one I'm about to play is called uh, Winds of Change. 
Awesome. Thank you so much, Aaron. This, of course, this was sent in to us by a listener. So uh, first of all, uh, thank you to our listener and uh, an, all, an equal shout out. If you want to send us music and you're a Canadian artist, go forth. Our email address is contactable at greenjury.ca. Without further ado, though, our final music break and we'll be back into the final section of the show. Blowing, open your eyes. You felt it coming, it's no surprise. Old is falling, soon be washed away. Big will be small again, change is on the way. Weather's changing all around the world. If Zeus was raining, lightning would be hurled. Respect nature, an easy thing to say. It's getting late for sure, change is on the way. Giving nothing back It's been me, me, me Down the my way track Wasting everything that's grown Eating too much food Wild things, no place to go. All right, and we are back. We're into the home stretch here at the Green Majority, CIUT 89.5 FM, or one of our wonderful community radio partners all the way across the country and in the U.S. now as well, uh, not to mention our podcast, uh, our iTunes podcast and SoundCloud listeners as well. Whole wide range. Uh, we've only got about uh, 10 minutes, let's say, uh, but that's because we had two excellent guests uh, in the beginning of the show. Thanks again to Joanne Kerr and Sabrina Bowman. Uh, but what I wanted to do now, of course, uh, was, you know, I would like to say we're, we're talking about something other than climate change. But, of course, all of this stuff is tied in together, uh, is the uh, story that came out yesterday, uh, starting in an L.A. Times editorial. And I'm covering it now from the EcoWatch article that I saw as well pop up on my dashboard. Uh, I will, of course, link to all these articles on the show post after the show. Uh, but it is in reference to an L.A. Times article uh, titled, Drought Stricken California Has One Year Left of Water, NASA Scientists Warn. I'm going to also just here paraphrase. Or, uh, actually, no, I'm just going to directly quote the first paragraph here. Uh, I, I don't like reading straight off the article, but it couldn't be any more concise than it was put here. In an LA Times editorial published last week, Jay, uh, I'm going to skip his last name, Familiari, senior water scientist at the NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory, uh, Laboratory, warned that California has about one year of water left. Quote, right now, the state has only about one year of water supply left in its reservoirs, and our strategic backup groundwater is rapidly disappearing. 
we're not just up a creek without a paddle in California, we're losing the creek too. Scary stuff. Um, so, of course, we're not just talking about a, a, a lightly populated area, and uh, there's not enough water in other places to simply give them water. Um, and yet, right next door, Stefan? Uh, yeah, so th- we're just tying this quickly to the, the recent, relatively recent news about Florida, which actually apparently has been going on since 2011, but only recently came out, uh, which was that <coughs> Governor Rick Scott uh, of Florida, who... As a, for for a very 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 for a state that is basically entirely surrounded by water, really does not seem that concerned about sea level rise, uh, despite the fact that many of his ac- actual cities on the coast are very concerned. And Florida is uh, very low lying, by yeah. the way. Yeah, yeah, there are many reasons why you should be caring. But anyway, the point is that he actually, uh, to some, they've they, there is technically they are not allowed to uh, use the terms not just climate change. Uh, but also global warming and sustainability, according to a report, investigative report from the Miami Herald. Uh, and the way they actually do this is that the words are were prohibited from use for official DEP policy making reports. Um, so basically, anything that might make policy uh, cannot uh, can't use those words. Let's start at the most basic level. <laughs> Under what circumstances? I'm gonna. This is a somewhat rhetorical question, of course, but I'm, I'll ask it, uh, to Kevin anyway. Uh, on what basis should a government ever be banning the use of words uh, with the admitted exception of uh, things that will insult people, so racist comments, etc.? Other than that, can you think of any situation in which it makes any sense to ban words? Yeah, political sense. <laughs> I, I knew uh, there and, was something. And it was Congress not that long ago that forbid uh, the Pentagon <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> from even considering the impacts of climate change when working out its budget. I mean, they they almost they essentially legislated uh, against against uh, climate change. <clears throat> Excuse me, which the Pentagon is doing anyway because they've been admitting it's a global crisis for 16 years now. Uh, and while we're talking about NASA and and water, uh, I can't I can't Google this at the moment because I don't have Wi-Fi in here. <laughs> we're so low tech. Uh, but Speaking it, of which, the CIUT membership drive is coming up on uh, <laughs> April 8th to 14th. If you would like us to be able to react faster to news items, make sure that you uh, save a couple bucks in your piggy bank for uh, the week of uh, 8th to 14th, and we'll be doing our CIUT membership drive. Sorry, I had, can't, No, can't no worries. That was, that. That, it, is, it is the day of segues in here. Um, <laughs> so, so if you Google NASA and GRACE, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, G-R-A-C-E, which is an acronym for something of which I'm certain the first letter G stands for gravity. Uh, anyway, NASA determined uh, several months ago, and, we, and something I've been always meaning to touch on on this show is uh, NASA put out a report where they're sort of measuring what's left in some major aquifers around the world by just uh, detecting gravity for, with satellite measurements. And they pointed out that major aquifers, major aquifers underlying major agricultural regions around the world are just simply running out of water. And this was always one of these weird things about like the green the green revolution where we increased food supply. Maybe I, I'm I'm just going to pull a number out of the air. Say maybe we increased certainly some staples by uh, a fact like we doubled the production at least of some staples. Uh, but we did this by increasing inputs by more than double. Uh, you know uh, by by more than doubling the inputs from uh, uh, fossil fuels and fertilizers and pesticides and water. We've been we've been hauling we've been diverting rivers and draining aquifers to maintain this um, this increase in in agriculture. It's the definition of unsustainable, and that kind of stuff makes sense to me only if you're saying, okay, I'm going to do this wildly unsustainable thing 
in order to buy myself some time to come up with a workable solution. But no, we just grow and consume our way up to every new limit. We man, we, we push a limit back and we don't say, okay, whew, let's, let's, let's take this time to think rationally about how to live sustainably on this planet. No, we go, oh, hell, that, that, that crisis is solved. Let's grow and consume our way up to the, the new limit we just created. So when you see that, you know, this report, Grace, G-R-A-C-E and NASA, just Google that. And read about, you know, what, what the uh, water, it gets ugly when people start running out of water. Water is a non-negotiable um, uh, input to life. <laughs> so It's not like Wi-Fi. <clears throat> yeah, not like Wi-Fi, which we need. <laughs> uh, I think, uh, I think that's what's, what's so interesting to me is, is, is things like that are so often ignored in the, in the conversation about the local food movement or, or localism. Because uh, so commonly, mm-hmm. I, I got in a whole argument about two weeks ago about this, uh, which was basically based on the idea of localism isn't, doesn't make any sense because you know, it's actually it can be more carbon intensive, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, like it, it's, 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 it's taking that sort of one carbon issue and presuming that is the reason why anyone might do anything else. Uh, and and this no the the food our food system you know t- like climate change sort of dominates everything in conversation but the, our food system is so broken that to like it's it's just as equal like it's it's a, almost as equally a concern uh, you know if if this massive like if there wasn't this you know this basically thirty year time limit on on, on carbon in our atmosphere that was sort of looming ahead of us the food system would be equally as concerning uh, it's it's but it, but it's getting ignored to some extent and and all of the other sort of things that come into it like the nitrogen cycle the the fact that you know agriculture dramatically drags uh, if you have a producing place that's making a ton ton of ton of like you know california's oranges make it all the way up to ontario uh and if they're doing that uh that's water that's being moved from california to ontario and we can't just ship that water back when we're done with it we could exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I've, i have two quick comments about that and then uh well we can throw it kevin but one of them was that the the, the when i heard you because you told me about that uh, mm. a couple weeks ago i think the, my immediate reaction is that that sounds like somebody who's accused you or your position of of being faith based. It's the aha. Well, if you thought that, you must also think this, uh, which means to me that just on the face of it, I immediately assume this person has no actual concept of of what the issue is. The second thing is more of a physics based thing, which is that we need we right now have a globalized system where everything gets shared back and forth. Which means that because we don't have a globalized accounting system, it's very difficult to catch things unless you're looking for them. Like Kevin was pointing out, like the fact that even though production has gone up, the it, we've been uh, increasingly in efficient at the same time, which is that we're getting actually less and less for the inputs as time goes by, even though total production increases. Very similar to the bait and switch done over uh, intensity targets. Uh, Very confusing. Uh, Which is that that one of the benefits of localism, even if that were true, is that it allows you to have a controllable small space by which you can measure, okay, what what do we have? And okay, this gives us an understandable small enough little situation to be able to actually talk about actually being actual sustainable. Um, And the only way we're ever going to have a sustainable world is by small regions of sustainability slowly growing together rather than some top-down fiat system of sustainability. Um, so those are my two dismissals of, of that person's mm-hmm. point. Yeah, uh, and, then, and then like on the water issue, you're looking at we're still haven't figured under, understood this seeming point that this is, you can't just sell this to random people. There's that whole battle going on, I, I, I want to say BC, but I might be wrong, of, of buying, I think it's something like 100 million gallons, some insane amount. I, again, that's also just a just a throwing out the number, but it incredible amount of, of water uh, to, I think it's Nestle, uh, for like $2.50 for them, to, of course, then to bottle and resell, uh, which not only drains, you know, not only moves water again to, from one place to another, uh, but also... Uh, 
is, is, is basically is literally just giving Nestle money. That's all you're doing, and, and that's 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 what that entire operation is. If you, like, we'll sell you this basically hundred million gallons for the same price, you'll sell one bottle of water later. Yeah, if you want to see a hideous person saying hideous things, just Google CEO <laughs> Nestle uh, privatize water. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, we're taking it to the man today. Majority <laughs> man, we just uh, uh, man. This was definitely worth getting out of bed today. Uh, I, I want to jump in with a couple, two quick things. There are a lot of really good scholarly articles about analyzing global agricultural uh, trade in terms of how many billions of tons of water we're shipping around the planet by doing so. The other thing that irretrievably leaves all agricultural production never to return are the minerals in the soil. And that's, that is also something we're going to have to talk about someday. So I'm going to jump in at the last. So, so last week, of course, I pulled my classic Eeyore <laughs> when uh, Stefan uh, pointed out that the International Energy Agency had declared that in 2004, global energy... 2014. Yeah, sorry, 2014, uh, global carbon emissions uh, plateaued. Mm. Uh, so I tried to get to the bottom of that. I didn't have a lot of time this week. I, I, it, I think that's fabulous news. I think that's shocking that it wasn't sort of more widely... Um, available in, in the news media. Uh, I, I do find it odd that they have the data so soon. Usually that kind of data is not that recent. It's going to be confirmed more f- completely in June. Okay, okay, good. So, um, you know, I pointed out, as I always do, that's great, that might be fabulous, but the problem we need to solve is to get to zero carbon in a certain amount of time. And and I, um, I, I just feel intellectually compelled, or like compelled for reasons of intellectual honesty, to just say, that might be great news. Uh, but this is not a situation where all progress is progress. It's it's the question is whether we're making sufficient progress, and not that you were you know trotting out any sort of false optimism. But uh, but anyway, but then lo and behold, uh, rabble.ca, another great alternative media source in Canada, has 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 trotted out an article that also didn't get much play in the media. There is a, an NDP private members bill uh, before uh, uh, Parliament right now called the Climate Change Accountability Act that does, in fact, set out uh, uh, legislation for Canada to meet its targets in time, uh, according to the dictates of science. All right. I'm afraid that was the last word. You're listening to The Green Majority. Thanks so much, folks. GreenMajority.ca for anything you missed, and we'll see you next week.